the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. We're so glad that you're joining us here today. I don't feel like I say that enough. We're glad. Uh, we're glad, glad you're here. It's a, I'm looking outside. It's a beautiful day. I'm so shocked you're commenting People, on the weather, Brian Fromm. Well, that's let, that's a new, more, new territory for you. Before we jump in oh, today, don't, okay. let's more comment that, that we have gotten more traction on Facebook yesterday from uh, discussing my attire than from discussing uh, the various articles and such. I appreciated everybody weighing in on whether or not I should wear cargo shorts, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep wearing cargo shorts. It was just shocker. <laughs> shocker. I most, I most appreciated my wife commenting going, I've just learned to live with it. <laughs> Followed by a winky face, which yes. I, I really, really appreciated. Uh, okay, so just a little bit of information. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can text us, 68683, and then just put CG in the comment before your comment, your anecdote, your suggestion, whatever it is that you have. And uh, so... We, we tend to start the show with something kind of hard-hitting, Newsy. At, at least yep. for us. Maybe sometimes, didn't we have like a whole segment on like whether cats were better than dogs or something? <laughs> Never at the top I, of the show. <laughs> I listened to it back and I was like, wow, good choice, Brian and Ian. Somebody, uh, sorry, oh, th- boy. that made me think, we posted an article recently where somebody just commented, slow news day, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they weren't wrong. I know. All right, but this is interesting, and just as a disclaimer, um... I think the intricacies of the story are way above both of our pay grades, but we're going to jump in anyway. But we have a microphone. Two two of them. Two. Two. Uh, YouTube will remove thousands of videos supporting white supremacy, Nazis, and conspiracy theories that deny the existence of mass shootings and other violent events. So essentially what's happening is they made these announcements to start cleaning up uh, their service and purging some of these more hate-filled videos, which... Again, seems like a great idea. Where it gets really tricky is who decides. Who decides? Who decides mm-hmm. what is hateful? What is worth deleting, removing? Like where? I don't know enough about the process of gatekeeping, particularly with this kind of new digital platform that is really not. I mean, YouTube's not that old, right? I think we have a lot to learn still. Mm-hmm. So why don't you? Why don't you react to that first, and then I'll I'll weigh in after. So uh, I didn't think I would need to say this, but certainly against white supremacy videos and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so I get it. And YouTube is a private or, uh, corporation; like they are well within their rights to do this. And I think it's positive. You know, like it, one of the things about YouTube is, as your kids get older, you realize like you should be policing it, but a lot of parents don't. And so there there is something to be said about protecting kids. Uh, and, uh, so I'm, I'm actually happy that they're taking down white supremacy stuff, violent stuff, things like conspiracy theory stuff. That's okay. But you did say, 
and a shout out to my brother-in-law. He's a lawyer who said that slippery slope arguments is a bad argument. It never works. But mm. I'm going to recognize that and then say there feels like there is a slippery slope that needs to be protected against here. Uh, brother disagreeing with the brother. Yeah, first time ever. So much smarter than me, too. <laughs> so much brother-in-law. So much smarter than me. Uh, but there does seem like there is a potential, I should say, for a slippery slope here. Who are the gatekeepers? Uh, if mm. if this isn't uh, accepted culturally now, what about when X isn't? You know, like if it's, right. no, now we're only going to let this in. And so I, I do worry about that. I think overall, I'm good with this. I'm, I'm like, okay, I get the First Amendment stuff and free speech and this stuff, but it's a private organization. They're wanting to protect themselves. And they're wanting to do their part to help build up a healthier culture. Uh, the the struggle become where it gets gray is when they're making more decisions about what makes a quote unquote healthy culture down the road here that some of us may not agree with. But then we have our choices and that's kind of the way society works. So I'm good with with the stuff that they've the, kind of these changes that they've made. But it will be interesting to keep an eye on things like YouTube or other things and see how far they end up going down the road. So what, what changes are you are you good with? Uh, in general, uh, the taking down of videos supporting white supremacy and Nazis and conspiracy theories like they've gotten. Although, to be honest with you, sometimes I'll go on YouTube and search conspiracy theories because they're kind of fascinating. But oh, um, you're about to get blocked from the government. So <laughs> can you get blocked from the government? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a lot of times, though, you think of YouTube or these other things as just kind of, you know, neutral things like an encyclopedia or whatever. And. It doesn't quite work that way. And so I'm okay. I think we can, most of us can agree on what is really outside the bounds. But again, the problem becomes when there's less agreement, what's with outside the bounds and YouTube saying, nope, uh, you know, uh, discussion about subject X we think is outside the bounds. And we're all like, whoa, that's not, whoa, why, why that one? And well, we saw, we'll get we saw some of that on Twitter, what that unplanned movie, right? And there was a bunch yes. of scandal around what is and isn't allowed on Facebook. And like, I, I, I'm curious if you think there is any freedom of information or freedom of speech going on here that, uh, that might be worth considering. There probably is. Uh, it, there probably is. And uh, it says here that the new policy uh, will ban videos alleging that a group is superior in order to justify discrimination, segregation, or exclusion based on qualities like age, gender, race, uh, caste, religion, sexual orientation, or veteran status. Hmm. The new policy will also prohibit videos that deny the existence of, quote, well-documented violent events, including the Holocaust and the shooting at Sandy Hook uh, Elementary School. A YouTube spokesperson on Wednesday told Business Insider that, quote, thousands of channels will be removed as a result of the new policy. The company did not name any existing channels that will be removed. And so, uh, I, again, I'm acknowledging that there's a slippery slope here. Um you know, I think I'm willing to be okay with that off of the bat here. We might have this conversation in six months and go, remember that slippery slope we talked about? Well, it's come to fruition. Well, we, yeah. Where, and where, I'll be, I'll what be arguing, like? I guess, you know. Like what, what could the slope lead to that would be potentially problematic in your mind? Uh, e, e, uh, I won't use your name. So Pastor X you, preaches a sermon yeah. uh, on what he or she sees as uh, the um, uh, about gay marriage, say. Let's go there. And YouTube goes, nope, that's hateful speech. That's discrimination. And they, they yank that pastor off. 
I mean, that that feels like, okay, now we've gone down a road that's pretty far. Or Does that arguably fit under these categories right now, though? It could for them. That's yeah. why it's broad enough that I think it could. And that's, again, the slippery slope here. They're not saying that that's what they're going to do now. I'm okay. I guess what I'm saying is I'm okay with what they're pulling now, but I'm fully aware that they might start pulling stuff under the umbrella of this hmm. that I might not feel good about. So I'm acknowledging a both and right there. Like, I, I like that these things they're pulling now are going away. Uh, six months from now, we may have this conversation and I may not be so happy. And for the record, same. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, I think we had this conversation last week about uh, certain statues being removed. Mm-hmm. Is is there any correlation between the two? Any similarity between these stories? Like, yeah, this person did some awful stuff, but it was context. And I mean, so to take it down is to erase history or even like we were saying in certain parts of Germany that even remembering horrific parts yep. of our history has its place in healthy society? Like, is there any danger, even with the stuff that you personally, Brian, from are comfortable with being taken down? Yep. Is there is there any subtle, unforeseen danger even to that degree? Forget the slippery slope argument. Does it set any weird precedents by like, hey, we can't just whitewash or sanitize anything that's awful or evil in the world, right. even if it's within our power? Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, as a parent whose kids might stumble upon something on YouTube, although we don't really let them on YouTube, but just... I know most kids are. I feel good about them blocking white supremacist videos, but I totally get what you're saying hmm. and actually think what you're saying has a lot of merit. I'm speaking more of like, no, I'm glad to see these go away. Yeah. Understanding that I may not be glad to see what goes away later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get that. I think that's something that's probably worth considering too, because yeah, there's, there's always implications Yep. and it's easy for us, you know, in a radio booth to condemn White supremacy, hate speech, yep. right? But uh, if certain policies, like you said, set in precedent, set in motion certain things, it may be like, oh, no, we, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins in uh, Chicagoland aren't okay with that decision. Yep. Like, well, that's not really yep. yours to make. I'm just, you know, I'm curious philosophically where this will lead. But this feels very black and white right now, but it seems like it is one or two steps away from really gray. Yeah. And I'm good with the black and white and the gray is going to be hard to wrestle with. Uh, that's true. That's a good point. All right. Well, it's uh, it's graduation season. So coming up next. Next, I want to talk about five commencement speeches that I think will inspire anyone listening, even if you graduated forever ago. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Honestly, everyone dances every time that song comes on. Every single time. It's the happiest I've ever seen you every time. It just gets better and better. The song better. is called Happy. I mean, I'm not saying your response is incorrect. I think it's actually the most correct. I'm just, you know, for our listeners, I wanted them to know. Yes. Give them a glimpse behind the curtain. Uh, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, it is graduation season, or so I'm told. I don't even know what seasons season. are anymore. I got, we got babies. And Nothing says graduation with like 60 degrees and raining. <laughs> it is every day here. That's true. And I don't know. We've never actually really talked about this. Do you remember your graduation? Like, was that a... College? Yeah. I do. Yeah, I remember um, Nathan Hatch, who was uh, oh, okay. uh, provost, I believe, at Notre Dame, was awesome. Great speech. and. Uh, yeah, no, I do remember. I mean, you Judson, they probably just said, you speak everything I hear about over there. It's like Ian, Ian, Ian. So I'm oh, guessing no, when you graduate, no, 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 like, no. we're just going to have Ian come and speak no. for us. <laughs> no, I think the year I graduated, I had also gotten a bunch of work hours uh, for reasons that I won't disclose. So I, I don't think they wanted me anywhere near a microphone. Um, 
But I actually really, I mean, I loved my graduation. Even when I graduated from community college, uh, I remember that being a, a, a pretty emotional season for us because I, I, neither of my parents went to college. Okay. And I legitimately thought about not walking. And I remember my mom being like, you are walking. You will walk across that stage. And it wasn't like a, like a demanding type of like, like parental moment. It was like, this is, I'm the eldest, you know, of my family. And it was like, I remember being really surprised by the emotion I saw in her eyes. Like, oh, wow. I think this actually is a big deal. So I actually have a lot of fondness for uh, my graduations because they, they just are really meaningful. And my family's in Detroit. So when I graduated Judson, you know, they came out, which is no easy task. And they've just been really, really supportive. And I'm, you know, it's one of the things that I see on Facebook a lot. Uh, people sharing clips or, or entire video, entire audio of their commencement speeches. And I found this, this article from themuse.com. And it's five commencement speeches that'll inspire you, even if you graduated forever ago. Mm-hmm. So whether you're a recent grad or you're right now just slogging away at a job that you're like, what am I, what am I doing here? Or you're at home caring for the house or for the kids or you're loving life, whatever it is. Um, there's something about the moment of commencement that, that I think can be really inspiring, even if you're not a student. So there's there's five commencement speeches here and that uh, we've pulled audio from each of the five. So I want to play like a short clip of each. And then kind of get your reactions yep. to it, and then we'll move on to the next one. How's that sound? I love these. Yep. All right. So the first one, one of my favorites, it's uh, it's Conan O'Brien in 2011. Take a listen. In 2000, I told graduates to not be afraid to fail. And I still believe that. But today, I tell you that whether you fear it or not, disappointment will come. Mm. The beauty is that through disappointment, you can gain clarity. And with clarity comes conviction and true originality. Okay, so good. Like, that's really, really good. Like that's what I love when people do that at uh, at commencement speeches when they say, "Here's how life really is going to be." Like preparing you for the world, and he's saying disappointment is not only coming, uh, but embrace it and learn from it, and it can make you a better person. That's great. Who had just recently faced, I mean, pretty serious disappointment uh, yeah, in his yeah. life, right? Remember, it was all that whole Jay Leno thing. So for yeah. him, for Conan in that season, talking about disappointment, but also. Like leaning into it yep. and seeing it as like an engine for creativity. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, I don't, I mean, to me, to me, he's got so much more insight than people uh, tend to give him. And uh, I just, I just think that's really powerful. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So the second one, and I'm not quite sure how to say this. Uh, it's Ch- Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie at Wellesley. Well, Wellesley. Where, is it? Yeah. It's pronounced, spelled weird, but it's pronounced how it's pronounced. All right. Wellesley College in 2015. Take a listen. Please. Do not twist yourself into shapes to please. Don't do it. If someone likes that version of you, that version of you that is false and holds back, then they actually just like a twisted shape and not you. And the world is such a gloriously multifaceted, diverse place that there are people in the world who will like you, the real you, as you are. All right, how's that? I mean, if you couldn't, if you couldn't, catch that said please do not twist yourself into shapes to please yeah don't do it if someone likes that version of you the version of you is uh false and holds back and they actually just like the twisted shape and not you there's not much more to add to that what a powerful powerful statement be yourself and surround yourself with people who are going to love the actual you uh, and not the pretend thing that you feel like you need to pretend to be. What a great thing to say to college students. And and honestly, yeah, too, not just um, not just the shiny parts of you, but like the yeah. you know the broken, hurting parts of you yeah. too. I think that's something that we talk about a lot. All right, number three is Steve Jobs at Stanford University in two thousand five. Here it is. Sometimes life's going to hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. 
I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love. And that is as true for work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. What do you think of that? Great. <laughs> Each one of these, I just want to come on back. I got nothing. Those are great. Love what you do. Because uh, life is going to hit you in the head with a brick every now and then. But don't lose faith. But what's going to keep you going is not the paycheck or not. Whatever it affords you, he's saying what's going to keep you going uh, is this passion and this love for what you're doing. And he's telling these kids, these idealists probably after graduating from Stanford. Right. Like, here's what you need to go for. Go for something that you love and you're passionate about. It's awesome. Do you think you would have believed that in undergrad? Hey, it's not ultimately about the money. I think I would have believed it in undergrad. Yeah. 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 You were a wise undergrad student. I, yeah, I mean, heck, I was leaving to be a pastor. That's like, <laughs> it's not like I, you've already not convinced like was, yourself of it. It's not like I was a business major, you know. That's a good point. Now, if I could go back, I'd be like, man, if you'd been smarter. Uh, okay, all right. All right, number four is Oprah Winfrey at Harvard University in 2013. But no matter what challenges or setbacks or disappointments you may encounter along the way, you will find true success and happiness. If you have only one goal, there really is only one, and that is this, to fulfill the highest, most truthful expression of yourself as a human being. Yeah, I I think that's really good, and I'm confused by it. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's the confusing part? What does it mean to have the highest, most truthful expression of yourself as a human being? I think it's what was said earlier, like, Kind of be true to who you actually are. Don't don't try to fit into these molds that other people don't twist yourself. Um, but yeah, we're seeing a common theme run through these. Yeah, right, no it's looking at these these students on the precipice of their life, uh, right. going forward this new season, and saying, "Hold to your convictions. Be true to yourself. Follow your passions. Don't twist yourself into what other people think you should be." It's powerful. We need to hear it as college graduates, but we still need to hear it today. Yeah, totally agree. All right, last but not least, uh, number five, Ellen DeGeneres in 2009. For me, the most important thing in your life is to live your life with integrity and not to give in to peer pressure to try to be something that you're not, to live your life as an honest and compassionate person, to contribute in some way. So it actually really does sound like integrity is maybe the major theme of all five of these. It really is. Why do you you think that's so important, particularly at someone's life stage, like at graduation to remind them emphatically integrity matters when that seems so obvious? Yeah. And I think you answer the question is because integrity matters. It's what's going to uh, give you long term. These kids, like, you know, these students, uh, yeah, it's going to be important that they hustle. It's going to be important that they work hard. But but ultimately, their character and their integrity is going to take them to the places that they hope to go to, whether it's personally or with family or in career. These are people who've made it, and they're looking back over life and saying, integrity matters. Yeah, and the thing that I appreciate about it is that in all this big dreaming, this inspiring talk, it, it really is this common thread of who you are when no one's looking matters, right? So, so yeah, reach for the stars and do what you love, but also, like, be, be true to who you were made, and I think maybe we would even have to be true to who God made you to be, I think is such an important call, particularly as you're looking to, like, enter into the workforce. Well, coming up next, Christine Kane gave this brilliant talk about the difference between gifting and anointing. In fact, she said, a gift will fill a room, 
but the anointing breaks yokes, chains, and bondages. We're going to talk about kind of that juxtaposition. What is the difference between gifting and anointing? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the furrowed brow, Brian Fromm. Furrowed brow. You're thinking very intensely about something right now. I was not. <laughs> That's just your resting furrowed face. <laughs> That's what I... <laughs> now, now I'm self-conscious. Your, your RFF. Oh, well, I'm sorry. No one can see you. It's okay. I, f- uh, <laughs> I feel like the uh, commencement speakers from the last segment would have said, don't let anybody make fun of your brow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that would, that would, that'd be tweetable. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, I mentioned just a little bit ago that Christine Kane who is this uh, Australian activist and evangelist and author and speaker. She actually founded uh, A21. Uh, this was like more than a decade ago, actually. Yeah. It's a nonprofit uh, organization um, that combats human trafficking. And just uh, she, I think, is pretty prophetic, pretty prolific. Yeah. Um, whether you like her style or not, I, I just think she's got a really a really unique style and a very, uh, a very powerful voice when it comes to speaking to uh, the church in particular. And every time that I've seen her live, I've walked away feeling a little bit like I was punched in the stomach, mm-hmm. but a whole lot of bit like, let's go change the world. Like yep. she just has that. Yep. There's an authenticity to that. And uh, so she gave a talk recently about gifting versus anointing. Yeah. And I just, I find this premise so fascinating. So I want to, I want to listen to a little bit from her and then kind of get some of your reaction. So let's, let's listen to her now. You've got to wonder, with so much worship music on the planet, which so much, with so much exposure to Christian music, to Christian sermons, to Christian television, to Christian radio, how on earth can our world still be in the amount of bondage that it's still in? How can people walk into churches bound week in and week out? And 20 years later, still be walking in and out and still bound. And that's because we've got a whole lot of gifted worship leaders. But I'm not quite sure how many anointed ones we have. And there is a really big difference between gifting and anointing. A gift will fill a room. A gift will entertain a crowd. A gift will stir people up. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 27, it is the anointing that breaks yokes and chains and bondages. And the only way you get an anointing is through crushing. But if we have a generation that doesn't want to be crushed, but would rather be paraded, then we will continue to have gifted people and we will not have anointed people. We need a generation that is willing to go into the dark room. I mean, keep going. Let her keep going. (laughs) We we just play the rest of that talk for the rest of the show. I I would. So, so I intentionally didn't want you to listen to it ahead of time to like prepare a statement or response. I just want to know as you hear that as a, a pastor and a yeah. leader as a Christ follower, how, how does that hit you? Yeah, a couple different things. One, the Australian accent's awesome. <laughs> is outstanding. But sure. Two, glad, glad you're majoring in the minors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two, um, it's just convicting. Like you said, she is a convicting. She bring, Here's the problem. Here, here's the struggle uh, for me in terms of where the conviction lies. Like, as a pastor, we all struggle with this, right? We all struggle with the sense of, are, is is my ministry, is my preaching, is our radio show, is whatever our outlet is, is it actually making a difference in the sense of of um, producing change in yeah. people's lives? And I str- I'm, I'm sure 
uh, you can speak for yourself, but I struggle with that. Like um, seeing seasons of, yeah, there's change or other seasons where like, why are there people coming back week after week? And they still seem to have the same, Mm. even not even blatant sins, but just the same attitudes that aren't Christ-like or the same whatever and, and going, what's going on. And here she's speaking specifically. I'm sure she's speaking at a worship leader conference, I'm guessing, or something like that. Speaking to worship leaders going, yeah. hey, it's not about your singing necessarily. It's not about you as an artist and how great you are. But there's this this difference between gifting and anointing. And I haven't often heard that talked about in different ways. Uh-huh. Right? Like God gifts you uh, is often used um, in the same way as God's anointed you to do something. Um, so, yeah, totally convicting. I would say, well, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear your wrestling with it. And also, is anointing something... She seemed to be getting on in her talk saying that anointing is something that you can also work towards. Uh, And I don't know if that's what she was saying. Like, I'm trying to wrestle with, like, well, is someone either just anointed or not? Right. Or is she saying, no, there's, there's a different kind of work that worship leaders or pastors or radio people or authors or whatever need to be doing so that their work will will be anointed by God. I don't know. It would be interesting to know where she was I, going with that. I didn't hear her say that you could work toward anointing she, where, them. The, uh, not work towards, but where she was going was like you, she's speaking to worship leaders. She started to, she started to say worship leaders need to start being uh, broken, wasn't the word she used. Crushed. Crushed. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, there seemed to be, it begs the next question. Okay, then how do I put myself in a position to be quote unquote crushed? so that this is the result of my life. I don't know. It, that's where I it felt like she was going. I'm yeah, not sure see, she I, was. And I didn't, and I didn't hear it that way, but I, yeah. So I, I, we could probably have a whole other discussion about uh, a theology of anointing, you know, because you, yeah. you, you can most certainly make the case that if you are in Christ, you're anointed by Christ mm-hmm. period. So I have often probably in more negative senses heard, the anointing language used to kind of keep a, uh, an unhelpful hierarchy in place. Like, well, I'm the pastor and I'm, I'm the anointed one, which is why mm-hmm. I speak to you. And you guys are just the, the hearers of the word, which to me, I think is totally upside down and totally bonkers. And um, Paul and Jesus both speak a lot to like <laughs> equipping the saints and how we're uh, a part of the body of Christ together. Um, but her yeah. comment though, about um, or even our desire to be paraded rather than crushed and how part of what she said was a gifting can fill a room. Totally. You know, yeah. like it's, it's what, it's not that hard actually to, you know, to gather a crowd. Is that ultimately what we're about as Christ followers, as leaders? Yeah. And uh, I don't think it's about like intentionally going after putting yourself in places to be crushed, although that might be part of it, but to just allow our own kind of pride to be crushed yeah. by God himself to say, Hey, you're not ultimately on the throne yeah. and that's actually not bad news. That's really good news. And when we forget that it's a lot of what we've been talking in other segments in previous days about humility and leadership yeah. and this idea that like, Hey, don't, don't grow entitled here because uh, you steward this. Yeah. And if we if we assume the posture of stewardship, whether it's a worship leader or a pastor or a mom or a dad or a CEO, like you, I think you can lead in an anointing in any of those places. But I think what she's going after, and she probably has had a front row seat to some of this mm-hmm. is, wow, we can create a lot of like buzz and electricity in the room. Does that actually mean that we're being led by the Holy Spirit? 
Right. And how to discern that seems near impossible, which is why I think this discussion is so important uh, and also so difficult. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, it really is because I think the answer is how do you discern that is in some ways it's the fruit of those that you're ministering to those who are listening to you speak or, or being led in worship. And it's the fruit is either going to be, um, you know, Oh man, you're awesome. That was, you did such a cool job. I really enjoyed that. Like some buzzwords you and I've talked about before that actually kind of make us sad as leaders, but enjoying it is not bad either though. Right. Exactly. Um, But my guess is when there is this anointing that she's talking about, there becomes a discussion of like, man, I really, uh, God used your words to really convict and to really uh, show something almost miraculous in right. my life. That, right. uh, and this is this is hard because for churches we often hire for gifting, mm. <laughs> like we hire for we hire for gifting, and gifting That's is great. Gifting is not bad, not at uh, all. It's, it's a gift of God, right? <laughs> right. right. Uh, but she does raise it to another level that really, really has to get us thinking. It sounds like maybe part of what she's saying too is that. You discern by the fruit, right? Yeah. She said a gift will fill a room, but the anointing breaks yokes, chains, and bondages, which to me, we could have a whole other discussion. It's like, why do we still have broken people in our churches? Like, well, because sin is still a thing. And like, yep. we still have not just individualized sin, but like systemic sin. Like that's, that's still there. Um, but at the very least to have the important discussion that while, like you were saying, while enjoying is not bad at all. So often I think we'll toss around words. Like if someone has a good voice, We'll say, oh, man, they're so anointed. Yeah. Like, that's not the same. And that doesn't knock the gift of a good voice and hustle and hard work to improve that voice. All of that is good. But to start and end every discussion, every gathering with, man, we this is pointless without mm. the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, amen. Like, let's not just have a rally. Let's not just have kind of our brains tickled or our emotions. Like, all of those things are good. But ultimately, what we need is not another sermon, another song but the power of the Holy spirit mm-hmm. in our lives. And I think as, as leaders, uh, it's really, really important that we, uh, kind of at the, at the forefront of that message. Well, coming up next, I'm not going to tease it out a whole lot, but I'm, I'm just going to kind of give you the headline. Uh, he died as shoppers walked by uh, cardboard gravestone in a doorway honors man who died there. That's mm-hmm. what's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. Brian is sort of dancing to this. Mm-hmm. What, what would you call what you're doing right now? More swaying. <laughs> this feels like a uh, more of a swaying song. See, I only I only hear that melody line in Tupac's That's Just The Way It Is. So I don't actually Not know. Not remembering that, it, that this is an actual song called That's Just The Way It Is. It, yes, I remember it, but I, uh, I keep waiting for the beat to drop. And uh, it just... He just never does. Tupac does tend to make things better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, please tweet that out. (laughs) Tupac does tend to make things better. Brian Fromm 7. Is that what it is? At Brian Fromm 7? It is. Because obviously somebody had at Brian Fromm 1 through 6 somewhere along the way. Is there a significance with 7? No, I don't think so. I think it's someone had... It was just the next available. Unavailable, so I don't know why I picked 7, but... Because it's a holy number and you're a pastor. That's true. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, one of the things that I, I really do appreciate about this show and the space, hopefully for us to create dialogue, is that sometimes we're telling like really funny stories. Sometimes we kind of delve into some controversy. And every once in a while you come across a story that just, like I saw this headline and it yeah. kind of stopped me in my tracks. You know, like we, 
you know, you and I both consume a lot of media, you know, just scrolling Facebook often mindlessly. You know, every once in a while, something kind of just jumps out of you. Right. And uh, when I read this headline, I think it'll make sense why um, it said he died as shoppers walked by cardboard gravestone uh, in doorway honors man who died there. And uh, the story kind of goes on to talk about um, a homeless man that had just been overlooked for a long time. And and why don't you you fill us in a little bit on what's going on in the story here? Yeah, there's a guy by the name of Adam Zajac. He was found unconscious under a sleeping bag. I believe this is in England. Um, And uh, somebody made a makeshift gravestone, like you said, and made out of cardboard, placed it right where he always was, which says R.I.P. Adam Zajac. He died in this doorway as shoppers walked by. Mm. Um, he was homeless. Remember him. And that that's the haunting one. It's that remember him. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, and then it was the second one of this type uh, seen in the city center over the past week or so, both paying tribute to a homeless person who died while sleeping. Um, and so what it looks like is that people were trying to um, the, the other one was made for a woman by the name of Deborah Morris, which read her body was found in a tent in this park. She was homeless. Mm. Remember her. And it is. uh it is striking, man, because I don't, you know, every time I go to the city uh, or uh, it happens in Downers Grove, like when you're at the library or by the train station and it can become really easy. And this is embarrassing, but I think we all feel this on some level. It could be really easy to not just not notice homeless people, but to just kind of look down on homeless people mm. just kind of be like, oh, whatever. Like, mm. um and these are a stark reminder of like, you know, this is a person who has passed away. Uh, let's let's honor them in such a way. And almost and also that's gravestone was made to challenge people. Yeah, right. Uh, as in, um, you know, y- you need to notice people and remember that's the haunting line there. Remember me. And and that's the one I take from it and go, OK, uh, not just remember me, but notice me. Right. Notice that I'm here. I'm a person. I'm here. And, and sometimes, it, you know. Truth be told, when I see a homeless person, I don't notice them. Right. I don't think about how did they get there. I don't feel much compassion. And I think right. something like this really wakes you up. Yeah, that's what I really find so interesting about some of these depictions of Jesus that we usually, I think, miss and jump right to the miracle where often he's headed somewhere and he's surrounded by a crowd and someone who's been blind or begging at the city gate for a long time calls out his name yeah and when the whole rest of the crowd even sometimes his disciples are like don't pay any attention to him we got to keep going jesus is the one that stops crouches down low and notices them and has a conversation with them and interacts with them and i think we jump right to the healing right because those uh, that in a lot of ways is like the that's the payoff but i think there's so much more to the humanity of jesus and the way that he you know to touch lepers he didn't i don't think that uh the healing was um i don't think it required touch but a leper maybe hadn't been touched in decades. And yeah. so he, he goes a step further. And I think, and I've mentioned before, I had a, a homeless friend in, in uh, Elgin who had passed. He had died in his sleep mm. and they had the funeral at a, at a nearby church that opened up its doors. And uh, the son was sharing about the hard life that his father had as a, as a drunk, as a homeless man. Wow. And he said, uh, my father gave so many people the opportunity to be Jesus to him. And so few people took him up on that offer. Oh. And I remember being in the back, just like weeping. I'm like, what do you say at the funeral of your alcoholic homeless fathers? Yep. You know what I mean? Like yep. that's, I can't even imagine that. And like he, that for me was such a, a punch in the gut. And we've, I've teased it a little bit here and there. And I, I won't get into all the details now, but I, I spent a week on the streets of Philly. And uh, how old were you when you did that? I was 21, okay. I think. 
it's something I'd wanted to do for a long time. And, and every time that I tried to schedule it with a friend or something, something came up. And so I just did it to city I'd never been to. So I, I wanted to make sure that I had like no safety net. Cause I knew if I just did it in Chicago, wow. I have friends in Chicago you know, so this wasn't through an organization or something. You're like, I'm going to go live homeless and I'm going to pick a city. I don't know. Right. I just went, I just hopped on a plane. You told your parents you're doing this. So. Uh, I don't know that I did. <laughs> That's crazy, man. I think I told Keep them after the fact. More Maybe the I did. Yeah. I, I had a couple of rules. Um, I was only allowed to actually eat with any of the money that I could panhandle. So I brought a guitar and I would sit out there. I had, I had long hair and, you know, I, I, in a lot of ways, um, sort of looked the part and, I couldn't find food for the first couple of days. Actually, I was, I'm not a good musician, so I wasn't making any money. So now I'm like trying to find places to sleep and like little, you know, little cutouts and stuff. I kept getting kicked out of places and now it's on two days and I'm like, oh, I'm starting to freak out a little bit, which like how soft am I? Like two days. Oh, it's still, but I yeah. uh, found a guy who, who had a list of like all the soup kitchens in the area and the times that they served food. And I just was like thanking him emphatically. And he was like, man, it's not a black thing or a white thing. It's a belly thing. And we're all hungry. Oh, God. And I was like, That's gosh, a great so good. Yeah, yeah. It's not a black thing or a white thing. It's a belly thing. And we're all hungry. But I'll never forget, though, that when I sitting on the street, and again, I, this is a week. This is this is a, a blip. This is a whisper. Watching people walk by and like hold their purse tighter or like mm. move their kid to the other side or like straight up walk to the other side of the road. Yep. Even just after a few days of that was so dehumanizing. And I remember like feeling like the Lord said, imagine doing that for 20 years. Yeah. Imagine yeah. what that does. You know, cause so often it's easy to jump to like, uh, why, don't, why don't they just get a job or why don't yeah. they do? I don't, you don't understand what that does to like the human psyche. Like, yeah. like noticing people actively avoid you, huh. um, to, to shirk back from you to some people would literally gasp. I mean, even some of the soup kitchens that were often hosted by churches and in, in some cases were brutal really? and you still got a meal at the end of it. But yeah. like, there, there were a lot of, it was a very, very eye opening. What did you do all day? I'm just kind of uh, trying to picture. Yeah, I you, mean, you spend I, your days? I panhandled a little bit. Um, I made friends with a guy, uh, my second day there and he ended up telling me like his whole life story. So we, I mean, his story was heartbreaking, but also not as dramatic as a lot of people might think he was a laborer and he had uh, busted his leg and his leg didn't heal right. So um, he lost his job and then eventually couldn't pay rent. And then he was living homeless and then he got addicted to drugs and been homeless mm. for more than two decades. So like yeah. the, the origins of his story wasn't anything crazy. It was like, I was a laborer and I didn't have a safety net and I didn't have any, there's no social construct either. He had like no friends or family nearby. Yeah. And uh, I started to realize like so much of the things that keep me from ever being homeless, I did nothing to earn. Yep. I have a huge family and a church community. Like, Literally hundreds of people would have to disappear off planet Earth for me to ever end up homeless. Yeah. And I didn't do a thing to earn that, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I read stories like this one, like exactly what you were saying at the beginning of this story, like what it starts with noticing. Yep. Remember and me. being and being on the receiving end of knowing what it feels like to not be noticed. Yeah. I think is so much more devastating than we realize. Mm. And and to take that extra honestly, ten seconds, thirty seconds. Even something as simple as keeping granola bars in your purse or whatever. You know what I mean? There's simple ways yep. for us to do this. And we can disagree on how involved the government should sure, be or what sure. they, you know what I mean? I just think the humanity, the sacred humanity of like noticing somebody, looking them in the eye and like identifying them as a human in real space and time. I just think. That's huge, man. Yeah. Thanks for telling the story. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, coming up next, kind of a hard right turn, but uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., 
has been in the news for some comments he made uh, about David Platt and Donald Trump's visit to his church. There's all sorts of things swirling around in that story. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Michael Simpkins, along with Brian James Fromm. You only gave your middle name so you could give mine. <laughs> That's true. It felt it felt unkind to only yes. do yours. It's not a bad middle name, though. I like my middle name. Do you? Yeah. Did you ever consider going by James instead of Brian? I do not. One James of those is a big family name. Oh. So, like, my dad is James Wesley Fromm. It goes by Wes. My, my, my grandfather, his name is James. I have a cousin named James. So it kind of runs through the family. Do you ever let insist on being called like Brian Jimmy from? No, he was my, I had a cousin who like, it was funny when he was younger, he went by Jimmy and then all of a sudden it became Jim and now he's James. As you get older, it's one of those names. Like the name Brian just sticks all through the years. Same with Ian. (laughs) It's very similar spelling. Um, All right. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And before we dive into Jerry Falwell Jr., Donald Trump, David Platt, and others, Brian's got some news for you. That's right. AM 1160 is giving you a chance to win a getaway for two to Dallas, Texas. Enter now for your chance to attend the Twisted Scripture Conference with Pastor Andrew Farley. What a cool name for a conference. I'm going to start singing. There you go. But underneath, there you go. Nah. The grand prize includes round-trip airfare, hotel, and transportation. You'll also receive a free gift just for entering. So take this chance to enjoy some time away in the Lone Star State. Register now at 1160hope.com slash twisted. That is 1160hope.com slash twisted. Okay, thank you for that. You're welcome. Ready to dive in? I am. <laughs> I think before before we started, you said, I'm ready to yell. So I can kind of already maybe perceive some of where you're going to go with this. Is that yeah. helpful? No? It is. I think Jerry Falwell's crazy, but go ahead. <laughs> Just keep going. All right. So uh, as uh, by way of reminder, on Sunday, uh, Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, stopped by David Platt's church. Unannounced, it seems, still in his golf attire, came out on stage. Uh, David Platt prayed a prayer over him, and he left. and uh, And then the internet exploded. Right? Is that a, a fair summary? It is. A, and a fair people, summary. people on the left, people saying, well, "Shouldn't we be praying for our leaders?" And other people saying, "What well, feels a little opportunistic? Feels like." Platt sort of ends up as a pawn in this whole yep. deal. And, uh, and if you want to know what Arthur, you and I have talked about the last two days. So that's true. You could hit the podcast. Are and, we talking about it too much? No, I, don't think, <laughs> I mean, I know you and I, we, we kind of swim in a very specific kind of uh, a pond here on Twitter and stuff with lots of pastors and, and church stuff, but it's been all over and it's still, it's a discussion that's still going on. Yeah, I, that's true. And I do, that's, that's kind of why I'm still okay talking about it because yep. it kind of, it seems to be getting messier and messier. The actual event itself was one thing. And then now with everybody weighing in, it seems to have gotten more and more complicated. Like everybody weighed in on the event and then everybody weighed in on Platt's explanation of the event. And everyone's weighed in about this person's 
explanation, uh, critique of Platt's explanation of the event, and it's just kind of keeps. And going. Platt's explanation also included a comment about how he realized that action uh, hurt some people in his church, yep. which yep. brings me to today. So uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. tweeted this. He said, "Sorry to be crude, but pastors like David Platt need to grow a pair." Just saying. Yep. By the way, to start something with "sorry to be crude." means you're about to say something crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, no offense, but, no offense, but I'm about, about to, to say something you. offensive. Right. <laughs> so a couple of things. Uh, we've actually had him on the show, Winfield Bevins. Uh, he commented, what an unbelievable statement from someone who calls themselves a minister of the gospel. Liberty University should call you to repent. And so he actually, Jerry Falwell, responded to him. He said, you're putting your ignorance on display. I've never been a minister. Uh, UVA trained lawyer and commercial real estate developer for 20 years. University president for the last 12. Blah, 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 blah. The faculty, students, and campus pastor of Liberty University uh, are the ones who keep LU strong spiritually as the best Christian university in the world. While I'm proud to be a conservative Christian, my job is to keep LU successful academically, financially, and in athletics. So that was sort of his response to just one person saying, Hey, that comment doesn't seem great <laughs> given your role. But even if that wasn't your perspective, even if that wasn't your position, that doesn't seem great. And I'm curious as a guy, as a father, as a husband, but also as a as a pastor and as a leader in his community. How does the tweet strike you in light of the story and yep. how do the comments that have ensued hit you? I mean, the tweet, the original tweet is sadly not surprising to me. It's not because of who wrote it. Have you seen him post things similar to that before? Yeah, he seems to have really turned... Okay, maybe the actual quote of need to grow a pair is like to another level. Uh, But this kind of... uh, This rhetoric and kind of way that Jerry Falwell has been um, over the last, you know, three or four years, this is right in turn with it. He is like... he, He has decided that like he is going to... Uh, go to bat for the president and for far right wing conservatives or whatever with everything that he has. What really bothered me in this was his response to Winfield Blevins hmm. is that <clears throat> uh, that that he could in his mind or he has made this differentiation to I'm not a minister. I'm only a college president. Can we parenthetically write I'm the college president of the single largest evangelical college in the country? Right, right. And that holds great influence and that he could make this distinction really not just bothers me, but worries me. Right. What do we always preach about work and about uh, the gospel and about your faith in Jesus needs to permeate all aspects of your life? And he's like, hey, Winfield, I'm not a minister. You're like, come on now. Like, like. You are you are a guy who is held up as sadly the evangelical by many people in the world, in the country, if not top five. We know that you are tied to Donald Trump's hip and we get that. And this isn't you can support Donald Trump all you want. But I don't know this differentiation he's made with like, hey, I'm not a minister. I can say whatever I want is a bit crazy because, A, you're a believer, like you're a reflection of Jesus. You're not even primarily a reflection of Liberty University. All of us who call on the name of Jesus are a reflection of Christ. Um, but, man, I got to be honest. If my daughter were were of college age right now, uh, I would not in good conscience be able to send her to Liberty University. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably feel that way. I, literally. And that's not just me, like, overblowing things. I would not send her there simply because of him. And it's a great school. I know a lot of great people who have gone there. You get a great education. It is uh, but but I just couldn't in good conscience send her there because the guy's a joke and, and he's just I, I don't know. Like I read his tirades yesterday because like, there are other tweets, too. And he just I texted you. I'm like, he's unhinged, man. Like 
something's kind of not going there. And and that for me was the cherry on the top when he's like, Hey, I'm not a minister. So, so there, what does that mean? You could be crude. You could say whatever you want. You can insult other believers. You can, what does that mean? And I, I don't know. I, I, when I saw this, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me because here's the truth, man, because I saw some of my non-Christian friends tweeting and Facebooking about this. He is a representation for people of all that is evangelicalism uh, in in our country. And that bothers me so much because then these people start painting all of us with this brush. And I just couldn't disagree with the tone or, quite frankly, the message that Jerry Falwell Jr. gives almost 100 percent of the time. Well, and, and again, just to reiterate, um, Platt was caught off guard. Right? Absolutely. And, and I like I have a lot of respect for Platt. I don't. Uh, agree with him theologically on every aspect, but um, his record is, I think, quite honorable. And I think his his prayer was very honorable. I think you know some people have even gone to the point of like nitpicking him placing his hand on Trump on the yep. stage, you know. And I feel like again, I said it yesterday. I'm so glad I've not ever been faced with a decision like that. Um, but there's a guy named John Fee that actually I thought wrote some pretty compelling things, particularly about Falwell's tweet. He said, first, a word about his language. Falwell begins by apologizing for his crudeness. It is worth noting that he is the president of a university. Most university presidents are able to communicate their ideas without being crude. In other words, they have civil language at their disposal. But Falwell knows that his base, conservative evangelical Christians, love this kind of language, which I think it's maybe far reaching. But number two, he says this tweet reveals that Falwell views the world primarily through politics, not Christian reconciliation or unity. Remember, Platt wrote this letter as a way of dealing with conflict in his congregation, McLean Bible Church. It was his pastoral epistle. Platt was trying to heal wounds and keep his church body together after a difficult day. He knew there was some division in the church after Trump showed up unannounced. And he wanted to explain why he handled the visit the way that he did. Third, it's also worth noting how Falwell responded to one of his critics. So he actually references the uh, the Bevins uh, comment and, the, and uh, reiterates here. And I think part of what I'm finding disappointing not even just as a Christian, but just as a human, that if I went to a university that was in no way associated with any Christianity, I still would be disappointed by this tweet. A hundred percent. Right. Like, I just want to yes. make sure that's clear. This, this isn't this isn't only exclusively because of his uh, be, because of his Christian ethic. It's yep. because of his position and his reach. And it's only made additionally inflammatory, in my opinion, yep. because, like you said, he is sort of like the, the beacon of Christianity yes. for a lot of people. And that's why this matters. You might be out there going, why are you guys even bothering talking about Jerry Falwell? Why talk about Franklin Graham again? Why talk about James McDonald? Why do this? It's because it matters, because people are watching, and people who are even outside the tribe, if you will, outside the the bubble of like uh, of following Jesus, these are the people that they're using to define Christianity in our culture, and that's why we've got to talk, and that's why it matters, and, and why we've got to speak out against it. Yep, I agree. All right, so this next story, though, is is maybe going to make everybody feel a little happier again. Oh, I love the headline it. is that kids whose parents make them do chores are more successful. Someone's applauding right now. I can hear them. That's <laughs> what's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. I almost said my middle name again. This is going <laughs> to be complex. Up, 
I'm gonna start funny. introducing myself that way. I don't I don't like this trend at all. This is not good. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, I was just teasing this new segment uh, in a way that I imagine some of you are like, you're all systems go. You're like, tell me about this topic. Kids whose parents make them do chores are more successful. There's a, a woman named Julie Lithcott Hames, and she uh, she did a TED Talk a couple years ago kind of on this idea. And my kids aren't yet old enough to do chores, but yep. yours most certainly are. So yeah. I want to hear a little bit from her talk and then, and then get some of your reactions. Let's listen to that now. Professional success in life, which is what we want for our kids, that professional success in life comes from having done chores as a kid. And the earlier you started, the better. That a roll up your sleeves and pitch in mindset. A mindset that says, there's some unpleasant work. Someone's got to do it. It might as well be me. A mindset that says, I will contribute my effort to the betterment of the whole. That that's what gets you ahead in the workplace. And yet, in the checklisted childhood, we absolve our kids of doing the work of chores around the house. And then they end up as young adults in the workplace, still waiting for a checklist but it doesn't exist. And more importantly, lacking the impulse, the instinct to roll up their sleeves and pitch in and look around and wonder, how can I be useful to my colleagues? How can I anticipate a few steps ahead to what my boss might need? That's pretty good, huh? That is really good. What do you like about it? I'm curious. Because there's, there's a lot of like church family language here, too, that I there could hear is. for sure. This linking of... How the work ethic that is that is instilled in kids will will bear fruit when they're adults in the workplace is really powerful. And I got to be honest, man, I sometimes we always say this. I'm sure you say this uh, every now and then on Don't the be stage so sure. as a pastor, like sometimes so sure. sometimes you pe- you preach a sermon from a place of strength and sometimes from a place of weakness. Oh, yeah. Totally. And, and man, chores and kids is a place of weakness for me. I'm it not is? sure. I'm not sure we've done this well in my house. My kids will do stuff. Oh, I'm surprised to hear. I'm this. not sure that this has been more of a battle probably than it's needed to be at times. Uh, but what's interesting, you brought up the church and things like this. I feel like my kids are so much more uh willing and and looking for ways to help outside the house right like at church or with other family or this or that and so uh, i totally agree with this this is good stuff because it's saying what uh the habits and the work ethic that you give as as when they're young uh will continue to bear fruit and it becomes a hard thing to to uh, instill later on in life. Yeah, I want to brag on my folks a little bit because this is something they actually did with us, I think, exceptionally well. Yeah. And there was, I can, for as long as I can remember, a very strong, like, no, we're in this together ethic. Like, this is what being a family is. You chip in. Even what she was saying about anticipating things is not just about, oh, that wasn't on my list or it's not my week. Like, that, that kind of stuff was weeded out of us pretty early. I got gotcha. you. And the other thing that they did that I thought was really brilliant, I remember my mom created this whole, like, graph, and you could earn, what did she call them? I think angel points or something, because we were, we were a good Christian family. So it wasn't points. They're angel points. But if you earned enough points from doing enough things, it wasn't just like a one-for-one, one, like, take out the trash, get $5. They, yep. they didn't do that. Um, but you could earn certain types of activities and they were often very relationally driven. So you earned enough stars in this category. Then you got to go to like Baker square with dad and, and sure there are times in my life. I'm like, just give me the $10, you know, like as a punk 12 year old, but looking back, them making it so relationally motivated actually was really brilliant because one, it created this ethic of like, Oh, we're in this together. And sometimes 
it's my younger brother's week, but he's like he's sick on the bed right now, so I'm going to take care of it. I, yep. And again, I'm sure we fought it a whole lot more than I'm remembering right now. But this like not just saying, hey, this is what family does, but also celebrating it mm-hmm. and learning to at the dinner table celebrate it and to say, hey, you've been really great this week. Um, why don't you take because we we're homeschooled? Yep. Why don't you take tomorrow off and uh, we're just going to go to the pool or we're going to you know what I mean like there was this very um, honest kind of ebb and flow, which I think in a lot of ways is what I hope for in the church, right? Yeah. Because a lot of times I think when people treat the church, like it's a restaurant, you know, like, um, this isn't cooked to order for me or take this back. Or I'm like, I think that's where we get into this very consumeristic posture. And if we talk about it as family, that means, that means starting with the little things. That yeah. means the little things matter. And it means us chipping in together. And it means Paul's analogy to the body is really important. And the ear can't say to the hand, I don't need you because you're not an ear. It's yep. like, no, it, we all matter. We all matter. Yeah. And that's something that I think it's easy for us to talk about in a radio context, but it's so much harder to actually live out big church, small church when so much of our culture, I think, I mean, even think about our worship spaces. A lot of them look like movie theaters uh-huh. and I don't go to a movie theater to get involved. I go to a movie theater to be entertained. Yep. yep. And I think a lot of times people see their tithe as their admission to the show and the people on the stage are the experts, the expert Christians. And yeah. I'm just here to sort of get my bucket filled when I think the gospels and the letters of the early church are so much more about how, how can we all get involved and get dirt under our nails to be a part of what God's doing here. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it just is the day-to-day life of having kids too. That becomes difficult. Like what battles do you want to fight? Um, but yeah, just instilling a work ethic in your children is a big part of who you are as parents. And uh, you know, this even goes back to those conversations we had about what were the different things that we talked about, helicopter parents versus snowplow parents versus what were the lawnmower parents and that we try to make our kids life easier and that that's not always beneficial to them later on. There are things they need us to do for them. Right. Uh, but it's not always beneficial that sometimes your kids have to feel what it means to have to work and to be inconvenienced and that not everything's great. And so. Uh, totally get it. I think I think she's right on. So there's a uh, another talk that I heard probably two years ago, and the headline is Navy SEAL Admiral shares reasons to make bed every day, which I I definitely do not do. <laughs> it's Admiral William H. McRaven, and uh, there's there's about a 40 second clip that really stood out to me that I think corresponds to this idea. I want us to play it and then kind of get your reactions. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, (laughs) that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Now, that's great. Right? Right? Like a Navy SEAL guy, you think he's going to come in there and be like, if you want to change the world, like there's a million things he's going to say before make a bed, right? (laughs) But man, what what cool things? Because sometimes it's it's all, there's so many messages in there. Like the little things, Matt, like the, the, the little things lead to bigger things and I just love at the end with some humor. He says, and even if you have had a bad day, you'll come home to a made bed. And uh, man, powerful <laughs> stuff. Powerful stuff. Why is that so powerful? Because it's such a simple reminder. Again, you would think a Navy SEAL at a college graduation about talking about changing the world would have these huge platitudes and this and that. And he goes to make your bed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you can insert chore wherever, like help take out the garbage or whatever. Fold your clothes. 
And uh, it probably gets back to why in the army, I don't know this, I've never served, but why in the army they make, they're so meticulous about making your bed and having things clean and having things done. I think there's something to that is like, it makes a difference in the bigger things in life. And so what sounds kind of like Luke 16, right? Like if you can be trusted with little things, you can be trusted with big things. If you're dishonest in the little things, or maybe you replace that word dishonest with something else. If you're lazy in the little things, you're selfish in the little things. Like even with that Simon Sinek conversation a couple days ago, we're saying, Hey, like refilling the coffee, like letting someone merge in front of you. Those are all acts of leadership, but we tend to think of leadership as the corner office yep. or the face on the billboard. He's like, no, 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 no. I think what the Navy SEAL and Simon Sinek are saying, and, and this woman with the Ted talk, they're all saying, man, the little things matter. Yeah. And when we just want to skip over all the grind of the little things to get to the success or to get to the, the ease or the luxury, they're like, Oh, you're missing the point of leadership. And sometimes when it, taking this all the way back to kids and chores, when it's little things, it's just easier to do it yourself, right? Yeah, like, right, right. Instead of harping on the kids to again do this, like take your dishes in, like, it's just easier to grab them yourself. And But that's what she's saying. What he's saying is you're not doing your kids any favors, even if it's right. easier for you in that moment, that's going to reap some fruit that is not beneficial to the kid and probably quite frankly, going to make your own life harder. And and hopefully you're hearing us say this isn't just about like what you do with your kids, but to nope. remember as adults, wherever you're at in life, the little things matter. Be faithful in the little That's things. Good. Pay attention to the little things. That doesn't mean don't dream for the big things, right? I think, I think God is all for like dreaming big about what God could do in and through us, but to start first with, okay, what do I have? Yep. What do I have right in front of me that I can be faithful with? I think that, uh, at least for me, is always, always, always an important question to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Well, coming up next, there's a new study that says that drinking coffee, even 25 cups a day, turns out it's not bad for your heart. Fake news. Plus, I didn't write this article myself, I promise. <laughs> That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the Java Java and it loves me, coffee and tea and the Java and me. <laughs> oh, I just want to keep hearing that song. That's good. Oh, so good. So calm, which is the opposite of what coffee does to me. And we're going to get into it because there's a new study that says that coffee, even 25 cups a day, Turns out it's not bad for your heart. In fact, you're going to live forever. So uh, <laughs> you're gonna live forever. before we dive into it that, is the nectar of the gods. Before we dive into that, Brian Fromm's got a word for us. That's right. AM 1160 is giving you a chance to win Me? a getaway. Sure. No, I don't think you can win. Gosh. Maybe under a pseudonym. Darn it. Uh, but other people other than you and I can win a getaway for two to Dallas, Texas. Enter now for your chance to attend the Twisted Scripture Conference with Pastor Andrew Farley. The grand prize includes round-trip airfare, hotel, and transportation. You'll also receive a free gift just for entering. Again, not you, others. Fair enough. Take this chance to enjoy some time away in the Lone Star State. Register now at 1160hope.com slash twisted. That is 1160hope.com slash twisted. Sounds like you could use some coffee. You okay over there? I'm not a coffee guy, man. (laughs) Not a coffee guy. Yeah, clearly. All right, so drinking coffee. What are you saying? I thought you were going to fall asleep halfway through that liner. That's no, what that I, gave, I gave that good energy. Here, give it back. You want to do it again? Yep. Here you go. Best of luck. <laughs> Here we go. Hey, 1160 is giving you. No, that's good. That's good. What's uh, good? 1160hope.com slash twisted. Go for it, people. <laughs> 
I'm just going to keep staring at you blankly and just see what you continue to say. (laughs) Kick, let's do it. Yes. All right. So drinking coffee, even 25 cups a day, not bad for your heart. New study says we posted it online. People had all sorts of funny comments. One person said, uh, I'd like to see the person who's drinking 25 cups a day, which fun fact, when I worked at Starbucks in uh, high school and college, there was a woman every morning that would come through and order eight shots of espresso with one pump of mocha. Down the whole thing in front of us, and no. then walk out the door. She's like, "Could you just hook it up into my vein it directly?" It was so frightening. She's like, "I'll have my eight shots mocha," and I'm like, "Uh, should you be operating a vehicle right now? Wow. Is this a good idea?" So, yeah. So the point of this, I mean, the article is funny because I was just joking a couple of days ago about it. Seems like every three months, I see an opposing article or research or study about coffee. One says. If you have one more sip, you're going to die. The other says, drink it and you'll live forever. And then everything in between, nobody seems to agree. I like coffee, so I'm not going to stop. <laughs> but I, I do also have to admit, like I had a French press at home and then I broke it. And then rather than, because I had kickstarted to support another one and it hadn't come in yet. So I was using like my wife's tea diffuser with grounds and this really like makeshift way. And it was so sloppy and messy, which goes to show the, the lengths that I'll go yeah. for a cup of coffee. The irony for me is that it seems like the origins of coffee were meant to be enjoyed, meant to be very social. And now we have coffee drive throughs where people are getting, you know, 16 gallon coffees and just downing it on the way to work. So I'm curious, first and foremost, as a non coffee drinker. Correct. What do you what do you think of the effects of coffee on a culture? And and like what are some of the warning signs of articles like this that we may be heading in the wrong direction? It's funny because, like you said, we posted this on Facebook and you could tell who the coffee drinkers and who are. not Yeah, right. So, uh. Like my wife, it's interesting. Neither my wife or I ever really drank coffee when we were first married. And uh, it, that didn't change until we had our, Carrie was pregnant with our third child, Emily. And when she was pregnant with our third child, my wife just all of a sudden got a taste for coffee. And now, man, like Carrie cannot, uh, there is a decided difference in her, uh, like her own energy level, whether she has coffee or not in the morning. It's really funny. Uh, whereas I, I don't drink coffee at all, but I, we've all got our own addictions. I used to drink Diet Coke like it was going out of style. And then I realized I read all the studies about Diet Coke. Right. And now it's like frying your brain. And so now I just drink iced tea, unsweetened iced tea all day long. That's I have one in front of me well, think, at this very moment. You think moment. you're better than us? Is that what you're saying? Is it? No, I think it's got its own problems. <laughs> <laughs> the caffeine and such. And so... Uh, I don't know, man. Coffee, I think it keeps people going. I think people are exceptionally tired in our culture and running crazy. And coffee helps give them energy. And I read we've got an article here. Here are 10 reasons why you may want to quit coffee. And it talks a lot about associative uh, addictions and how coffee uh, uh, acts like those and how they hurt you and other stuff. And then we've got this other study that says you could drink all this coffee and it's not even bad for your heart, which... <laughs> I have trouble believing because I think too much caffeine supposedly is bad for your heart and 25 cups of coffee seems to be an issue. Uh, But I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. And so I don't think that coffee, it is what it is. Like, I don't know. There's probably much deeper thinkers, people going, well, if you need coffee to get through life, then you've got problems. Probably true, but I think there's a lot less worse, a lot worse things we can use in our lives to get through the day. So. I do not judge you coffee drinkers. That's what I'm saying. I do not judge you as a, co- as a non-coffee we're, we're drinker. We're feeling a little judged, Brian. I do, not dr- I do not judge you at all. That's not what your face is saying right now, though. <laughs> I, I don't. Your voice might be saying that. I'm going to read these 10 reasons 
through gritted teeth because I am an avid coffee drinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they're pretty interesting. Number one, the caffeine in coffee increases catecholamines, your stress hormones. Number two, hab- uh, habituation to caffeine decreases insulin sensitivity. Number three, unfiltered coffee has the highest amount of beneficial antioxidants, yet also leaks the most diterpenes into your system. I don't know what that is. Number four, the helpful clerogenic acids that may delay glucose absorption in the intestine have also been shown to increase. I see. I should have known that I'm not going to be able to read any of these words. (laughs) Homocysteine levels. Number five, the acidity of coffee is is associated with digestive discomfort. Number six, addition is often an issue with coffee drinkers. It makes it really difficult to rely on the body's natural source of energy. Number seven, associative addiction uh, addictions trend with coffee. Number eight, five HIA, an organic acid and component of the neurotransmitter serotonin, the happy chemical seen in the urine tends to be elevated in coffee drinkers. Number nine, elevated urinary excretion of important minerals such as calcium, magnesium, and potassium have been noted in coffee drinkers. And number 10, constituents in coffee... Constituents in coffee. I used to play bass in constituents in coffee. Can interfere with normal drug metabolism and detoxification in the liver. So it seems like there is actually some decent scholarly work to support that this is maybe not a good idea. Do you know what the big secret is? I'm not going to stop. I was just going to ask you that question. Does any of that at all give you even five seconds worth of pause well, as I to whether you should still drink I coffee. I couldn't even read most of the words, so how, right. how bad could it be? So if that person's study was definitive and it said coffee is not ideal for you, like, would you stop drinking coffee? And neither is Taco Bell, but I'm still going there every once Amen, in a while. brother. See, none of this is like... Eventually, you do a cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> and that's what I did. I need, and some of you out there, you drink lots of Diet Coke. I used to drink a ton of Diet Coke and then I got spooked by some of the studies. And to be honest with you, the more Diet Coke I drank, the worse I felt. It was giving me huh. headaches. Uh, it was doing weird things to me. And I was craving it. Like, it was all just weird. And so I cut Diet Coke out of my life. I replaced it with something else. My guess is reading that list, you're going to do a cost-benefit analysis. You're going to go, you know what? I like coffee. And it helps me get up in the morning. I'm going to keep drinking coffee. Like, that's why these are fun to talk about. So what but Brian I don't know. Fromm is saying is truth is relative. There is no absolute truth that morality doesn't matter, that ethics are just a made up construct. When it comes to coffee, I think that's true. (laughs) Oh, you do. That's okay. Well, that's that's a slippery slope, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) We go so inside baseball. It's it's the same show. People have been listening for all two hours. It's the same show. They're not podcasters. The podcasters listening at twice the speed. That was just just 13 minutes ago for them. They're going to think you're so hyped up on coffee right now because you're just going, going, going. The answer is true, but but it is pretty interesting, though, and I actually used this illustration in an Easter sermon years ago when uh, I, I brought a Taco Bell burrito on the stage. Ooh. And I talked about how uh, a number of my friends had said, do you know that's not real meat and there's all this ingredient, blah, 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 blah. And my answer to them was, yeah, but it's delicious. Yeah, like, I don't. And what I said was so often when it comes to God, we just want to kind of bury our heads in the sand. Like, I don't actually really care what's true. I just want mm. what feels good to me. And I'm just like not to get too existential yep. on this coffee conversation. But this is, I think, a prime example where there's two opposing articles They're right there of scholarly sources saying it's going to kill you. You're going to live forever <laughs> and you're going to yes. choose whatever category that best fits your ethos or your true. experience, which can get really tricky. When it's about more serious topics, when Correct. it comes to coffee, I think ah, it's inconsequential at yes. best. But when it comes to matters of morality or ethic or ethos or pathos, I think that kind of stuff yes. gets really, really tricky um, because there, I think, 
are things, and we say often on the show that we want to en- enter into the gray, enter into the murky territory. Yes. But that doesn't mean that sometimes, especially as pastors, we have to stand back and say, hey, I know that we disagree on this. Yep. This behavior is toxic yep. or this isn't okay in our organization. And that's really hard, I think. And I think coffee is a weird, long jumping off point for us it to is. say, sometimes, sometimes black and white actually really does matter. And and it's worth it for us to actually learn how to, how to articulate that well. So are you still going to drink coffee? Oh, 100%. I'm drinking it right now. I'm drinking it right now. You absolutely the are. The hypocrisy of saying all of that as I like chug from this two-gallon mug <laughs> is not lost on me, which leads me to how we like to land the plane yep. each and every day with some interweb insanity that we did not find, our executive producer found, and we're going to experience that together as friends on the radio. Doesn't that sound fun? Right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I've had a lot of coffee today. <laughs> Brian Fromm has not, that we've just learned, but his iced tea is mostly empty. So That's true. You, does that make you equally as hyper or no? No effect? Uh, it, uh, uh, it can. After a while, it can make me a little jittery, but I don't. Probably not the way the same happens with people who drink coffee. Yeah, coffee probably seems too. to really like... You just see people shaking after too much, but <laughs> do you? Is that something you witness a lot? Is I do people just shaking? Just, Who in your life is shaking from too much coffee? Shaking. Who are these people? <laughs> I'm, I'm calling you on the carpet. In uncontrollable. Okay, shaking. calm down. All right, so we end the show every day with some interweb insanity. Our executive producer Keith Conrad uh, selects them for us. We have no say in this whatsoever, by the way. And he also chose the sound effects. So if we seem shocked or horrified, those emotions are real because we don't know that's coming. And Brian Fromm is going to kick us off. Yep, we're going to start in California. Drink cocktails and pet rats at a pop-up rat bar. I don't know what any of that means. No, thank you. You don't drink know how drink co- cocktails? Pet, as in like you're petting the rats. I, I read that as like pet rats. Like no, pet it's rat. the verb. It's the yes, verb. The verb. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there are the publicity stunts and there's the rat bar. <laughs> a three-day pop-up from June 13th to June 15th at the permanent Fisherman's Wharf haunted house known as the San Francisco Dungeon. It's the second iteration of the dungeon's previous gambit, a rat cafe, which supposedly sold out in 45 minutes. What sounds like a serious health department violation actually skirts around the issue by separating the rat petting portion from the drink consuming aspect. Oh, well, that's comforting. Customers who pay $50 get one cocktail, oh a tour of the dungeon, and then time to play with the rats from Radical Rodent Rescue. Then they're set free at an upstairs cash bar where they might require several more drinks. Oh, rats. <laughs> So that whole segment felt like um, the Stefan segment from SNL. He makes up random bars that don't exist at all. That's awesome. Are you interested in going there at all? Uh, no. Okay, same. No. All right, no, New, no, Jersey. No. New Jersey. New Jersey, Jersey my homeland. Brian's homeland. Dancing Donut Desperado who streamed his fried dough grab hunted by cops. None of that makes sense. Again, I have no idea. Is that even an English I sentence? No. Police in Middlesex County were seeking the thief who live streamed himself jumping the counter into Dunkin' Donuts to steal a donut. Okay. Dubbed the Donut Desperado, the pastry poacher, this is ridiculous, seems to show off with a dance while snatching a donut and taking a bite during the crime at a George Road store around 8.30 p.m. June 1st in South Brunswick. In a video released by the police, the man also appeared to help himself to a drink while broadcasting the act with his phone. In a post on Twitter, police asked for help to identify the man who they say uh, was also suspected of another similar incident. Time to make the donuts. I really thought that was going to be Simpsons, actually. I thought it was going to be Desperado. Oh, uh, we were both wrong. Yep, yep. All right, Kentucky. 
Kentucky man forced Amazon driver to rake his driveway at gunpoint. <laughs> oh, I laughed too early. Whoops. I take back the laughter. Can we edit that out? <laughs> a 63-year-old Kentucky man was arrested after he allegedly pulled a gun on an Amazon delivery driver and ordered him to rake his driveway. Holy cow. Police say that Kenneth Vance confronted the driver as he left the property and pulled out a gun. Vance ordered the driver to step out of his van and handed him a rake. He told the driver, who has not been identified, to smooth out the gravel driveway, which what? had been disturbed by his van. Oh. The driver cooperated and was allowed to leave the property. He then called 911, and police went to Vance's house, where he was taken into custody. The driver was unharmed, uh, and, he t- and the police said that he did the right thing by complying with Vance's demand. In this situation, he was able to remove himself from the situation, so he did everything he should do to make sure he was safe. Uh, just like file that under things that have never crossed my mind. Nope. Right. Like not in a million years. Yeah. All right. Louisiana. I don't know that we've ever done a Louisiana. About to. When Taco Bell runs out of tacos, who do you call? One person reportedly called the police. Mm. When Louisiana Taco Bell allegedly ran out of tacos, a consumer called the city's police department to report the travesty. The Slidell Police Department took to its Facebook page Monday to share another we-can't-make-this-stuff-up story. Somebody called in to complain that Taco Bell on Gow's Boulevard ran out of both hard and soft taco shells, oh the Post said. While this is truly a travesty, the police can't do anything about this. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Knew that how, was how many times has that Knew one been? that was coming. <laughs> Last one is Florida. Woman finds iguana in toilet. A Hollywood, Florida woman was surprised to find an iguana in her toilet. Melissa Reynolds said she was cleaning when she went to the bathroom and opened the toilet bowl lid to find a scaly surprise. I went to the bathroom and opened the lid and I screamed, oh no, there's an iguana in the toilet. <laughs> Can we please get that sound bite for later? <laughs> she, she then slammed the lid shut and made a call to the best iguana catcher she knows, her father. Uh, he said, I was in the shower and my wife knocks on the door and says, Melissa called and said, there's a big iguana in her toilet. Okay, so I guess my day's not over yet, her father said. He's kind of like the professional iguana catcher. He's caught a lot of iguanas. Shortly after he arrived to her home, he got to work. He recorded the safe uh, capturing of the reptile, where her father could be seen carefully putting the iguana into a box before letting him loose outside. Trapper said the iguanas have a tendency of climbing up trees and down vent pipes that end up leading them to plumbing and sometimes the nearest commode. Oh, boy, I did not. That's what was not that? what iguanas sound like, no, is it? I don't know what that was. Goodness gracious. I wish you guys could have seen both of our faces. Absolute terror. Like if you saw an iguana in the toilet. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You're not wrong. Okay, well, today's show has had some ups, some downs, some laughs, some tears, some... All of it. All, all of the above. We've had a lot of fun being with you. We hope that you'll join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. here at The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.